I think it's just awesome to see what I've been able to help create with the right club, with helping others get to like, it's awesome when someone's like, Hey, how do I invest? And then I coach them through and then they buy something. I'm like, yes, you're in the game. (laughs) So I think that's what is motivating me right now is what we're building with the right club and that community that we're building. That's awesome. You're listening to the right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Welcome to another episode of the Right Club podcast, the TRC, the Right Club Nation. You guys are in for a treat today. Well, I am interviewing my co-host for the Right Club podcast, Sarah Larby. How's it going, Sarah? Awesome. How are you? I am really good. I'm really excited. This is kind of surreal that we're doing this podcast and I'm actually hosting and interviewing you. So I'm really excited. So don't critique me too much as an interviewer, (laughs) but really excited to share your story and who you are to the Right Club Nation. As we embark on on doing all these podcasts, I think it's really important for our listeners and viewers because we're in viewing mode too, to get to know you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how eventually you got into uh, the real estate world. Yeah, sure. So I am a real estate investor, call it entrepreneur, because there's a few different things like the right club that uh, we are doing. And I've been investing since 2013, really started uh, by buying the smallest house I could afford back then. And currently I have nine properties, most of them in Brantford. One of them is a cottage Airbnb rental in near Kawartha's Peterborough, a little town called Lakefield. Yeah, I started investing because I just kept Googling and became obsessed with changing my lifestyle and being able to retire early. And so I Googled how to get rich one day, how to become wealthy and just became obsessed, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, with finding a solution. And real estate investing kept coming back over and over and over. And then there was like stocks and bonds and whatever, like the the paper asset market. And then there was like starting a business. And for whatever reason, just real estate stuck out to me as it seemed like the simpler, maybe more sure option to get it done in the time frame that I wanted. So when you were Googling and you were typing in basically, like, what were you typing in? Like, how to retire early, how to get rich? Like, what were you putting into Google? That's exactly what I was doing. I was exactly. putting in. And then w- once real estate started coming up, then I started Googling real estate and just started listening to podcasts. Bigger Pocket was a, a big inspiration. There's a few other podcasts that I got really addicted and hooked on. But it's it's one of those things, like, I decided that that is going to be how I changed my life. And I remember going to the bank and the reason that I started Googling this and, and researching it is that back in the day we went to the bank and the lady there, she was like trying to do her financial advisor stuff and asked us what are our assets and what are the liabilities that we had. And I actually didn't even know what that meant. And so when she explained it, <laughs> I decided that like I've been working for a couple of years and I've got no assets and a bunch of liabilities. So what have I done? <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh-oh, let's, let's untangle this mess. Where do I start, right? So yeah. let's talk about the first step. We always talk about pulling the trigger and, and, and taking that first step into real estate investing. What was that deal? What did it look like? And yeah, maybe walk us through the process of how you got there to make the decision to do it. Yeah, sure. So I'm 
actually all about my motto. You know how they say like, you're ready, aim, fire. I reverse the fire and the aim around and I'm like ready, fire, aim. That's like my motto. And then my, my spouse, Matt, my boyfriend, he likes to take things slow. So it took a couple years to okay. really talk him into, I mean, you guys know each other, you and Matt. Yeah, yeah. It took a couple years for me to get him into wanting to do this as well. And because he was a little bit nervous about having a tenant from hell that doesn't pay, that trashes the place, he was not sold on it from the start. And uh, so the first rental property that we bought, the first, literally the first house that we could afford, it's like $129,000 in Brantford. It's a house from the 1850s. But the reason that we ended up getting something is his sister needed a place to live. So we ended up actually working with her to start, found a place, put her in there, and that's how we got our first one. <laughs> so that helped, that obviously helped ease mad to, you know, your spouse's mind that his tenant was his sister. So if it ruins the place, can be like, come on, sis, like what the hell, right? Yeah, I will refrain from any comments, but you guys can probably read through the lines. I would just say, just careful about business with friends and family. For sure, for sure. But obviously, so coming from where, where Matt came from, those worries and, and those apprehensions about like the tenants from hell and the nightmares through all the, the podcasts and all the different resources that you were learning and trying to acquire, did none of that like didn't worry you? It didn't scare you? It, how were you so confident to be like, I'm we're just going to do it? Because at the end of the day, really, what's the worst that can happen if I start small? So the way that I looked at it is I knew enough that I needed to figure out something where I'm buying a property that cash flows. And because it was $129,000, like, I guess I worked a lot. I actually worked two jobs to save for that down payment because we were struggling in the beginning. I wasn't in my current role. I was just starting in terms of sales and everything like that. So I ended up working two jobs. We saved, it was 129,000, but the 20% down payment from the two jobs. And then what happened afterwards. So when we purchased the first one, I don't know if it was at some point I went to this seminar and there was somebody there that said, just buy a house a year for like 10 years, every single year, and you'll be set for life. I'm like, okay, that's what we got to do. We got to buy 10 houses. That's it. Get on the schedule. All right. <laughs> and there was no reasoning to the 10 because now you look back at it and it's not about the numbers. It's about the income. But I knew enough that I knew that if I bought this house for 129000 I knew what her rent capacity was and I knew it would work. So was I worried? Eh, I mean, yes and no. Like it's always a little bit nerve wracking as you're starting out, but at the end of the day, like, what did I have to lose? I think there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of upside. And even though my, my parents aren't really investors and don't really understand it, they were always very supportive. So I think that helped as well in the sense that like, I, I, they didn't think I was crazy for wanting to do that. So like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I've said this to you a few times too, is like, I like to surround myself. People like, I, we're similar in a lot of ways that we have these ideas, things that we want to do and blow up. And the people that surround us like, oh no, that's impossible. You can't do that. I don't really like hanging around with those kind of people. I like people that are like, oh yeah, that's a crazy idea. How, how are you going to do that? That you can't, right? Like how, right? Yeah. So kind of prove it to me, right? And, and walk through it. So that's kind of cool that family was supportive because I know, you know, you went to school, you got an education, you completely switched career paths and then went right into the real estate investing as well too. So I think, yeah, that's another similar, you, you make it work, right? You just, you make it work. Yeah, absolutely. You got to look at what the fears are as well. And so when Matt and I were first starting and I'm like, okay, how do we get to 10 or how do we acquire more if he doesn't have that many siblings? 
<laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up actually finding a tenant on Kijiji for house number two that we spoke to for about three months. And she was living in like a small unit and duplex and she was like, they were a growing family and we just really clicked and we connected. And so we actually worked together to find them a house and we found two that we really liked that they were the same price. And I knew what her budget was in terms of how much rent she could afford. So I knew based on that, that it would cash flow. And so I had pre-vetted her like months <laughs> in advance, got built a great relationship. She's still there to this day, like an amazing tenant. And we found a house and I'm like, you know, pick A or pick B because we didn't actually mind whichever one it kind of both worked out and she picked one house and uh, absolutely is like the best tenant because she got an opportunity. It's like almost a rent to own, but not, <laughs> they don't own it. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to own it. That's actually, well, rent to owns are great, but that's actually a really cool model as well too, where your clients, so they have a vested interest. They have an emotional attachment to the property that they're renting. They were part of the, the selection process, which is yeah. just really interesting. And I think that's when I was just starting to meet you and Daniel St. John, the other founder, obviously, at the Right Club, had introduced us. And he said, you have to meet this, this girl, Sarah. She pre-screens these clients, and the clients go pick up the house. So I was like, wow, that's freaking awesome. So, yeah. yeah, and obviously, the rest is history from there. But So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more. So, that's how you came into your, your second one. And I think what, what I kind of picked up was, you know, you were gaining experience. You went through it with your spouse's sister. Then you had really got to know the client a little bit more and see the type of tendencies, how to relate to them. You were working out the numbers, it's different scenarios. You were gaining the experience as you were actually doing it, right? Like there's, you have to read, you have to, to, to listen to podcasts, attend seminars, that type of stuff, but you actually have to do it. So kind of walk us through like, as you continue to, to kind of scale, because the real cool part is that you've done this all with your own financing, with your own capital, reinvesting, which is amazing and the, what you've accumulated. So how did it go from one, two to, to keep going to where you are yeah. now? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. So you, you said it right. As you're actually doing it, that is where and when you learn the most. And it's one thing to analyze. It's one thing to read. It's one thing to, but you don't want to analyze and analyze. And all of a sudden it's 10 years later and you're still analyzing. So I think one of the things that I've always been able to do is take action. And if I screw up, then I screw up and I, I learn from that. And so I think that's always worked in my favor. But house number three and four and five, et cetera, I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of demand and why do I need to buy a house, close on the house and then find the tenant? And so I just started doing some processes where I ask for four showings when I buy a house and then I actually do all my screening and everything beforehand, show the tenant the property or the prospective tenants the property. And then I've got a tenant ready to go for closing. And so I've been able to do that since... I guess like every single house that doesn't need any renos. And at some point as the market started heating up a little bit, prices are getting a little bit higher, but also competition. I didn't have time to find a tenant and wait for three months to find something because that didn't, the market changed at that point in time. Yeah. And so we buy a house, we have four showings or four, we ask for four showings. Then we have two of those to put tenants through. And if there's houses that do need work, so we started doing some burr strategy, which is, when you buy a property and you renovate it, instead of just selling it, you'll actually rent it out, refinance, and you pull out the money. And that's how I've been able to do not, right? You're saving for the first one, you're saving for the first second, but you're not saving afterwards. If you buy right, because you now have processes and procedures, you understand the market, you understand what a deal looks like in the market because you've become that market expert, 
you're able to buy under value and you're able to know what about what things to do in order to raise the value up and what the after repair value of certain things are going to be and then you can refinance it doesn't mean that you're stretching yourself thin because you're still calculating the cash flow in there but you're refinancing and then you're using that equity whether it's on a HELOC or you're doing a cash out and you're buying the next one and if you do it where you're cash flowing and i'm a big believer in buy something that cash flows it allows you to be able to scale and keep scaling without hitting that wall as soon as you might hit otherwise yeah and, it, and it's kind of a it's a funny pun but you're playing with house money right like <laughs> you, you have to you, you go in and you make your own investment like you said you are saving for that down payment and and qualifying for that mortgage but once you've started like you said, that's not a liability anymore. Like a lot of people there think they're their home, their primary residence, you know, it's an asset. It is if you use it correctly, but it's a liability if, if, it's, if you don't, right? So that's what you're able to do. After I guess that bank meeting and that bank lady kind of maybe left you with your jaw on the ground, little assets, liabilities, you're like, oh, don't worry, I'll be back and I'll figure this out. And yeah, sure enough, you did, right? That you kind of turn it into an operating business where it's cash flowing and, and able to buy more, right? Which is Absolutely. Awesome. We went back to that same bank. I mean, it wasn't the same lady back then because they switched a lot. And yeah. then she's like, oh, you got to show me how to, you have what you're doing. I want to talk my husband into it. And I was giving her advice. I'm like, I think there's something wrong. But <laughs> when I first started, this is a nice lady, but when I first started investing, I was going to the bank and I was going to the bank that was holding my current mortgage for my primary residence. And most of them, like, I mean, some of them are not, investor friendly some of them are and they all have like different rules and criteria and different things that they look for and certain ones have caps on how many they lend anyways long story short it's always changing but when i went to the bank they wanted 20 percent for the first one 25 percent down for a second rental and then they were asking for like 35 percent for our third one and that's a lot of cash if you don't have to put more than 20 percent right. don't do it as long as it cash flows and so I ended up actually meeting Daniel, our other co-founder, and he introduced me to Dahlia. And that's how I got in touch with Dahlia Barsoom, who now is my mortgage broker and has been helping me scale where I only have to put 20% down and not some crazy other number. And I'm getting good terms and I've been able to scale that way with her. So I think the biggest advice I can say is use a mortgage broker if you're going to do Absolutely. this by yourself. And yeah. If you just want one or two, it won't matter. But if you want to scale and actually create a business and replace your income, you're going to need help from somebody yeah. like that. That's their full-time job. That's what they do. They're going to lend money. We love the banks. We need the banks. That's great. But those people on the other side of the counter, like you said, it's it's actually it's kind of sad that you're the one giving the advice on how to kind of retire and work with your money. Now, don't get me wrong. There's good people at the banks as well. But I heard a great analogy actually just at our most recent event was like you go into the Home Depot, you go into the plumbing department, but you're not really trusting the guy with the orange apron to do a plumbing job. He can tell you where to find whatever the faucets, <laughs> yeah. but you don't want to use his advice on how to install the faucets, right? You want to call a plumber, right? right? So I was like, yeah, I guess the banks are, are there for, they have their purpose, but it's like a retail store for the products and, and services that they sell, right? And um, that is a big key too, is I think a lot of them, Anyways, not everybody, don't quote me on that, but a lot of them would prefer that you spend your money on their mutual funds, that kind of stuff. And so they don't actually give you any yep. strategies about refinancing your property to be able to buy another one. Like you're not gonna get that advice from them. Yep. That's why, unfortunately, they work for themselves. Yep. You're gonna need to either work for, like, ensure that you would understand enough to, to be able to do right for you, but also get people on your team that are gonna help you and be part of your team. 
the bank is not part of your team, in my opinion. I, I absolutely. You said it perfectly is that they work for themselves. They have to have profits at the end of the day. And if they're giving you advice that goes directly against them making money or potentially losing money, yeah, they're not going to give that advice. They're their bias for sure. So I think I know the answer to this next question, but out of all the properties you have, which one is your favorite property? <laughs> I guess you guessed right if you were thinking my cottage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really cool one because we ended up refinancing one of our properties that we bought under market. And like literally we actually didn't even put more than two grand in that house, you know, over the three or four years that we had it. We refinanced it, pulled out 100K use that as the down payment on the cottage and we're renting it on Airbnb and it's covering it itself completely. And so we're getting like 3000 a week during the summer. Again, I still, I don't want to make it only an Airbnb. Like I still want to enjoy it myself, but it is really cool. Like it's, it was completely paid <laughs> using the banks at their own game and now it's rented. And so it's amazing. I'm, I'm actually looking for a second one. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. You know what? And, that, and that's why I want to ask is, you know, you're nice enough to have a, a bunch of us up for the, uh, I think it was a Victoria Day long weekend. And it, this place is awesome. This is so beautiful. Right on the lake. It, it's beautiful. And uh, yeah, congratulations. I know that was, I remember us talking about it and you were almost like pinching yourself because the rentals were just being completed and you were just starting to enjoy it at that time. And you're like, I never thought I would ever have like a, you know, a cottage like this. Like it was something that you would never, never be able to obtain. And look, within a short matter of time, you did so kudos to you and yeah congratulations that's uh that's i'm really thing. excited about it because i'm still not even 35 and i have a cottage like so i at some point i figured i'd have a cottage but i thought i'd be maybe 50. <laughs> yeah and look you can go and enjoy it right you can get out there and go and enjoy it and, and have fun and and uh yeah enjoy what i do so on that kind of note, like what are the things that like that motivate you, right? Like you, you go in and you got that cottage, you know, there's, you have the properties in Brantford. Now you started like kind of mentoring and coaching people as well too. So what motivates you to keep growing and keep doing what you're doing? I think it's just awesome to see what I've been able to help create with the right club, with helping others get to like, it's awesome when someone's like, Hey, how do I invest? And then I coach them through and then they buy something. I'm like, yes, you're in the game. <laughs> so I think that's what is motivating me right now is what we're building with the right club and that community that we're building. That's awesome. Uh, personally for me, I absolutely hate winter with a passion and my goal, <laughs> my goal is really to live at my cottage for the summer months at some point, and then be able to travel for five, six months out of the year. And so I really, truly want to retire in the next five years, because at the end of the day, I have the one life to live and that's it. And so I still want to be young. I still want to be in shape. I still want to be energetic and live the life that I want. And it's more for the freedom, right? It's for the time freedom of being able to say, if I don't want to be here for three months, I can go <laughs> and yeah. we can rent a nice Airbnb somewhere. And, you know, we're not tied to any specific nine to five. I love my job. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's a job. And so it's like eight hours a day of my time. I sleep for eight hours. That means I only have eight hours left. Hey, yeah. how can I make that so that over time I can take that time back? That's right. And you know what? And kudos to you. You say you only have, you know, you work eight and, and you do. You still are working, you know, a full-time job, which just, which blows my mind. But it's almost out of necessity. Like you're saying, hey, you're working for eight, you're sleeping for eight. But you've done such an amazing job on creating systems 
and utilizing and leveraging other people's assets that could be time that are doing those tasks that are doing those things where you're kind of guiding the ship. So what are some of the, you know, you're talking about retiring and I, I doubt because you're like nonstop, you're nonstop. Yeah. So, but you'll be retired, but it'll be like semi-retired, but you'll still have like an army of people helping you out, working on projects that you're doing and concluding. So you've introduced me to a lot of that stuff in terms of you know, leveraging other people's time, in terms of helping you achieve the goals and virtual assistance and things like that. What are some of the tools or some advice for maybe someone that's out there that feels overwhelmed and they're like, there's so many things to do. I do work full time. I have kids. I'm married. I got, you know, there's so many obligations. How do I get all this done? It's impossible, which I say, no way. Like, look at this Sarah Larby. She's killing it. What's some advice that you would give to them? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. So I think the first thing I will say is my time is not spent managing the nine properties that actually takes two to three hours a month. And I think, you know, sometimes people think, Oh, you're going to be running and, and driving everywhere and plunging toilets. And, you know, if you have a good team in place, then it's a matter of like texting them, you know, you're, you've got a leak somewhere, your plumber goes, they, you know, you, they send a bill by email, you pay them electronically. So there's a lot of things that actually can be done remotely. And so I've condensed it to two to three hours. I'm still self-managing the nine properties, but I've got a, a strong team out there. And so I think you know, and that's why I'm a big believer in trying to stick to as many or just into one or two markets. Don't go into like 10 different markets because then you're getting 10 different teams. So it's nice that I have one team and I can employ them. Yeah. But in addition to that, I think it's about delegation. Like you mentioned, the virtual assistant piece. I've hired a you know branding coach person to help me with the, the mentoring coaching side, my, my website and cutting things that waste time. I am not a TV person. Instead of listening to the radio, I'll listen to some podcasts. It's all those little things that add up and, and give you your time back. And, and I can absolutely vouch for that. I used to watch a lot more TV and I, I try to give Sarah all these references about TV shows or funny lines. And she's just like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so lost when it comes to that stuff. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's all right. It's all right. We make it work. It's okay. No, that, and that's amazing. And like I said, I, and I you know, just on a personal I want to thank you for helping me implement those things into my life, my business, times of those VAs. Because, you know, anytime that I'm like, I'm busy and then you're like, yeah, and I have a full-time job. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I got no excuses, right? So, okay. So, you know, you talked a little bit about the properties, a little bit about how you're leveraging it, using those teams. But you know what? I'm, to the skeptics out there, oh, yeah, but that's, you know, what it worked out perfectly and you have this. And you have that. What are some of the, what's the, maybe the biggest challenge or some challenges that you have to overcome to get that point because it couldn't have been all rainbows and sunshines all the way through right no but i think you just if you want something bad enough and you do a little bit every day you create your own luck i mean i met matt he was fifteen thousand dollars in debt i was like in school still living at home and then after my first job i made i don't know five bucks an hour when i really broke it down like it was not a whole lot i had to take a second job at some point and if you work really hard every single day at it, you get promoted, you get different opportunities. And then, so you take those chances, but there were sacrifices. I mean, I've, we've spent years where we, I cashed out my vacation money because I wanted to save towards that first property as an example, instead of taking the time off. And so, yes, there were sacrifices. I don't think it was a challenge per se. I think a challenge is an opportunity, but there are things that, that we did in the beginning where yes, people would choose different, different ways, like I literally had like a couple pairs of shoes and I don't buy a lot of stuff. I just, I just don't care. I don't care about it. And so 
I, <laughs> some people think that maybe that's a, a sacrifice. I think it's fine. Like, I think it's just. I do. I definitely, you don't have enough shoes. Sarah, you need more <laughs> shoes. Right off the bat, you need more shoes. That's hilarious. <laughs> but like, was there a challenge? Yeah, there's lots of little challenges, but you, you grow from them. You learn from them. You overcome, like, we've had this, I don't know, tenants that could have gone down the other side, but like we've communicated well with them. And we, since then we've built processes in place to not have anybody slip through the cracks. And yeah. is there one big challenge I can say? No, I don't think so. I think there's just tons of little challenges in what you do with how you grow and how you look at them and, and what you do it, moving forward is what matters. Well, and, and that's exactly it. And I think the, the perseverance and just your dedication towards that goal is that you clearly know what you want to get to. So there's not much, like probably nothing that's going to kind of get in your way to, to stop you from getting there, that it's just a little hurdle, a little obstacle that you can get around. Like you said, that you make yourself better and you add it to your system and you say, okay, this is not going to happen again. So this is what we're going to put in place so that it doesn't. So yeah, yeah. right on. So um, yeah, just kind of a little bit of a follow-up to that, I guess. What do you consider your greatest strength to be able to do those types of things to, to get past that, that perseverance, but you would say your greatest strength if you were a superhero. I think it's taking action and not having to be perfect at everything. I love the fact that some people want everything to be perfect. That's great. And then, but then unfortunately they don't take action. I think it's important that you just, you learn enough and then you just go and do it and you learn from your mistakes. And I think that's why I'm here today is that I just learn what I need to just enough and then take action on, on what I've learned. Even just this podcast, like as an example, like when I actually first started my other podcast, where should I invest? I was at an investor forum of some type and there was a guy there talking about, you know, starting a podcast and I bought his course. I was like, it wasn't that much. It was like 500 bucks. But then I'm like, okay, I bought it. Let's go implement it. My first couple episodes were horrible. I mean, I'm still learning, but at the end of the day, like nothing has to be perfect. It just, it needs to be good enough. You, you need to have, you know, for me, it's about giving back and it's about helping others and, and trying to help others do what we're doing. And I'd rather put a message out there that's not 100% perfect if it gets out there. Yeah, it's be yeah, better than like nothing at all, right? Like, yeah, getting out there, sharing that. And, and people are going to take it in their own different ways. So listening to this podcast, listening to Sarah and some of the things that she's done and she's still continuing to do, take that and you apply that to your own life and where, where you can find, whether it's efficiencies or what that motivation is or what you want to take action on. Obviously, you were at that event and something struck you to be like, Hey, yeah, podcasts are cool. Obviously with your background, your history of how you started learning about real estate, you were listening to podcasts and, and it was, I think something that was valuable to you in your learning. So you're like, why can't I help more people? I can do this as well. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah. And honestly, and thank you for having that podcast. You introduced me to podcasts and that's what <laughs> I was kind of leading next was, yeah. So your podcast has been so successful. So many listeners, you've had amazing guests like all across from, some of you know smaller investors to huge portfolios to real huge thought leaders in the industry themselves so what are some of the things that you've learned or your favorite things in the last it's about year maybe year and a half or so that you've been recording your podcast what are some cool experiences you can share yeah absolutely i mean i don't think i can just narrow it down to one but what i would say is i was a buy and hold investor and now i do burrs and uh, some airbnb stuff but I think by being able to talk to all of these awesome people for an hour, like my learning, everything I've learned, my knowledge has just completely blown up even more so because these are people that are doing different strategies that have different ideas and just learning from that. I think that that is really cool. And even just one of the things that when I listen to other podcasts, 
sometimes they're in the US. And so understanding what's Canadian and what's American and what applies and what doesn't apply was confusing. And so, I, you know, talking to some US investors and talking to some US investors investing in Canada or vice versa, like it's really cool to see how those, uh, those differences actually come into play. And it allows me to, to really, I think, have a better grasp on those differences. And, and obviously, yeah, it's given you that voice and that platform to share your story and share so many other people's story as well, too. And, and I think that's a real cool part as well, too. Is that's what I'm really excited about as we continue to, to grow the Right Club podcast and the Right Club Nation and, and all the ideas that we have for our club is, you know, selfishly, for sure, we get to meet some really, really interesting people and learn from the best out there. They're going to be on our stages teaching the, the Right Club Nation and we're there learning right alongside them is that I think that's the continuous thing is we continue to learn. There's always going to be a little bit of a better way. There's never perfect, but there's just like you said, it's you know, it's better than better than not doing anything at all and not taking any action, right? Yeah. And like I mean you say you say it really well. I mean all these people have so many great things to share. And so if somebody can pick pick one little tidbit of a tip from one person and apply it and do better, then that's awesome. And they say your your network is your net worth. So I'm expanding <laughs> that portion for for me and, and hopefully with the right club, because I think a lot of them are from the right club as well that I interview on my own podcast and being able to I don't know, share ideas. It's just, I don't know, it's really rewarding. And, and I get emails as well and people that need help and make some great connections from listeners. Like I, I just, I love all that stuff. Yeah. And I think that's why just, you're such a natural fit as a coach, as a mentor, and as you're bringing on people. And I know you've already had few clients within your coaching that have had some success and, and got into the game themselves and bought their property. So maybe for those people that are scared or, or need, you know, somebody to kind of hold their hand and walking them through. I know for myself, when I first started getting, getting involved in real estate investing, I had a coach, I had a mentor. I was scared, beepless, to get into the game, to do what I was doing. I needed somebody that had already walked the ropes that had, that had the proven system. So somebody that's out there that's saying, I'm not sure what I need to do. What kind of clients are you helping or what value do you bring to them that you can help them walk them through? Yeah. So anybody that's starting out that wants to figure out how to have a full-time job and also start investing. I mean, really ultimately, like if, if someone's interested in, in buying a buy and hold, a cash flowing property, doing a burr strategy, getting a cottage rental. I mean, any of that stuff, I've, I've had clients ask me for some assistance, for some help, picking a market, screening tenants. I mean, really, I, 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 if I can give back to somebody, no matter who, I, I absolutely love that. So I think a lot of people that reach out to me um, are probably mostly Canadian. Once in a while, I have a U.S. listener, but I would say the majority of people that I work with, I help are Canadians. And 90% of them have full-time jobs and talking to them about how to create systems in place to be able to, it's never passive, but to, to be able to, to do this as well as a full-time job. Yeah, and, and that's amazing. And you know what, like you said, you, you were given that gift, you had that knowledge that you acquired. And you know what, you're not just keeping it and holding it in, you're our sharing it and, and providing that for other people to get involved and saying, look, hey, I was, and I so relate with what you're, what, where you're coming from is that like, I was able to do it. So, so can you, there's nothing, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to, right? So, and, and that's fantastic. So, all right, Sarah. So, you know, we've kind of gotten to the point of the podcast where it's our lightning round. So, all right. So in future podcasts, you're going to help me with the guest, but I'm going to ask you all four questions today, the lightning round. So are you ready for the lightning round? 
I am. You would have. You would think that I would have prepared, but I clearly completely. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I was. You know the questions. Sure. All of our all of our future guests aren't going to know the questions, but you do. So okay. That's true. Are we ready here? All right. So you were talking about you attended a lot of networking events. You you had met Daniel. You had met your mortgage broker. So what's the best advice you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? The best advice is to work with a mortgage broker. And that was from Daniel. And that allowed me to go from two properties to where I am today. I would say that actually that is the best advice. That's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? Podcasts. Doesn't matter which ones, just that's how I got to where I am today. I do a lot of driving for sales. And so listening to the podcast instead of the radio allowed me to exponentially increase my knowledge by not having to, I don't know, write down or be some, like I could be driving for two hours because I used to have territories, you know, like quite far and even into Montreal. And so think about all that time that you're saving, not having to do driving plus separately. Absolutely. And you know what? And I do a lot of driving. I did a lot of driving, still do a lot of driving. And, and I thank you so much. Like I love music too. I'm a huge music fan, but yeah, you've got me addicted to the podcast. And now I find myself just kind of hanging out or I throw some headphones on, go for a walk or if I'm at the gym and I'm just listening to podcasts. A lot of the time it's listening to yours or all the other ones, other great ones that are out there as well too. But yeah, that's a great resource for sure. Number three, what is the one attribute that has made you the most successful? Taking action and my ability not to be completely perfect on everything I do, but just good enough to be able to take that action. Take action for sure. And I love that. And again, I can vouch for that is we talked about jumping out of a plane uh, and going skydiving together. And you're like, Alfonso, you're in charge of that. I need to know by like in two weeks when we're doing it, set it up. Here's the list. Take action. Do it. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. But yeah, that's exactly it. Taking action. Absolutely. Wasn't it the best day ever? I talk about it every chance that I possibly can, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Last question of the lightning round. So this one's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit unique one. It's more talking about like what you prefer to do or what you like to do, but it's a quiet Sunday morning. Okay. It could be winter. It could be summer. It's a Sunday morning. What are you doing? Well, Literally on Sundays mornings, you and I are recording podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we're doing now for sure. (laughs) So that is my Sunday morning. But in the summer, I do that from the cottage (laughs) on a Sunday morning. But, you know, to me, this, I love this piece. Like, I feel like this is what is so rewarding to me. And so it's Sunday morning. And yeah, we're recording podcasts and it's awesome. And why not? No, you absolutely, I used to have a saying like on Sunday mornings, I don't wake up before nine unless I'm golfing, right? But now, yeah, you definitely, that, that excitement that rubbed off, I'm having a real good time, really looking forward to doing this. So that was the lightning round. Thank you. Good job, Sarah. First lightning <laughs> round in the books. <laughs> All right. So I guess, you know, before we wrap up the, uh, the podcast today, any last words of advice or uh, anything that you'd want the listeners to know? Yes. Take action, learn enough and just jump in and it will not be perfect. You'll make some mistakes, but you'll learn the most from just jumping in and doing it. Awesome. You know, obviously getting to the right is one way, but how else can our listeners get a hold of you? They can email me, which my email is Sarah at the right And they can also go to the right and go to the contacts me page. 
I'm also on Instagram, Investor Sarah Larby. They can reach out to me on Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And they should definitely go to your website as well, too. There's a lot of information, a lot of content on there, and a lot of the steps that you've put in place. So sarahlarby.com, I think they should check out as well, too. So honestly, Sarah, this was such a treat. I've never interviewed anybody on a podcast before, so uh, on my own. So you thank did you awesome. so much. That's yeah, amazing. You, so are, you are a great interviewer. I'm excited to be in this journey with you and interview all of our other guests. It's going to be so much fun. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Right Club Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.